Welcome to Leadership Lessons. I'm Todd Gray, the Executive Director for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Leadership Lessons is a program where we talk to faithful leaders who are making an impact for the gospel. My guest today is Dr. Chuck Lawless, and our topic is evangelism and missions, but especially in the context of leadership. Dr. Lawless, thank you for joining Leadership Lessons. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be with you today, Todd. Before I introduce Dr. Lawless, I want to express personal appreciation for, for him, for his ministry. I got to experience that at Southern Seminary at a master's level, but also a doctoral level, and just incredible, not only a great professor, but just a, a godly example. And Dr. Lawless, everyone that knows you, I think that's exactly what they would say. Your classes are excellent, but your example may even um, equal or, or surpass your, your, your teaching. So thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, Chuck Lawless currently serves as Senior Professor of Evangelism and Missions uh, and Dean of Doctoral Studies and Vice President for Spiritual Formation at Southeastern Seminary, where he holds the Richard and Gina Hedrick Chair of World Missions. In addition, he serves as Team Leader for Theological Education Strategist for the International Mission Board. Dr. Lawless served as pastor of two Ohio churches prior to joining the faculty of Southern Seminary when he was here in Louisville in 1996. And he and his wife, Pam, have been married more than 30 years, and they reside in Wake Forest. So let's jump right into these questions. Dr. Lawless, what is it that inspires a passion for evangelism in the heart of a believer, and what can we do to stoke that, stoke that fire? It's a, it's a great question. In fact, I've, I've thought about this a lot. I, I think about our own spiritual journeys and look at the time when most of us were most zealous for Christ. Yeah. And that's typically much closer to our conversion than it is to today. It is it is that point where grace is fresh and real and alive and powerful and forgiveness is is comforting and and we we almost can't help but talk about about Jesus. And I, I think what we have to do is we we have to reignite that that childlike passion for Jesus, if we really want to be naturally evangelistic. Yeah. I th I think what, one of my concerns is that our our programs, our strategies for training people to do evangelism. I believe in programs and strategies, yep. but but one of my fears is we're trying to program people to do evangelism, and they're the same people who lost their fire for Jesus a long time ago. Yeah, and programs. Don't take care of that. I, I think we have to help each other go back, uh, remember our story, remember what God did to, to save us, how he orchestrated events to get the gospel to us. And I think one of the ways we can stoke that fire again is to get brothers and sisters just to tell their story of how of how God saved them. Um, one quick comment about that. I It amazes me. And I'm guilty of this too. How many people do we go to church with? We're in small groups with them. Uh, sometimes we serve alongside them as pastors, and we don't even know their stories. Uh, we we are all trophies of God's grace, and if we just learn to tell our story to each other a little bit, and we just heard recurrently, God did this in my life. God did this in my life. This is how God saved me. I think 
just hearing the stories will stoke our fire some. Yeah, no, no question about it. So just listen to you speak. I'm, I'm remembering a six-year-old girl who made a profession of faith at church on a Sunday night. The next morning, she got on her school bus to her bus driver and said, guess what happened to me last night? You know, she <laughs> she had to tell someone. And then, Dr. Lawless, you'll appreciate this. I was in northern Kentucky a few weeks ago preaching at Union Baptist Church. There was an, a man, an older man there that I met. His, uh, I forgot his first name. His name was Dan. And he's 82 years old. And so I love to ask church members, when did you receive the Lord? So I asked Dan. He said, I was 30 years old. It was 1970. He was at, at um, uh, Covington Baptist Church. No, Calvary Baptist in Covington. Warren Wearsby was preaching when he oh. got saved. He told me his whole testimony. Well, during the invitation, Dan came up front, asked the pastor to speak. He told his whole testimony to the church. And he urged anybody there who was lost that they need to get saved. And just him retelling it stirred up his spirit. So I really resonate with what you, what you just said there. There. What have you seen leaders do to make a difference in helping others be more evangelistic? Uh, what did they do specifically? Yeah, one of the things I've seen, my, my role models for evangelism, their evangelism naturally came out of the overflow of their walk with the Lord. And by that I mean, and this, this may sound like a just a basic Sunday school answer, but there is much, much truth to this. These, these are men who love the word they're regularly consistently in the word prayer marks their life and they are in such communion with god that speaking of him is just naturally the the byproduct of their of their walk and so honestly it starts there it starts with them just falling in love with god day after day after day and then the one thing i would say that i've seen in these men quite often, uh, and I, I capture it with this, with this phrase, they don't let a day pass without speaking about God's goodness to somebody mm-hmm. every day. And I think if we can get in that pattern, if every day I speak to somebody, that could be my spouse, it could be a, a colleague, it could be a fellow pastor, a church member, or a non-believer, I don't care who it is. But if we just decide every day I'm going to speak something good about God to somebody, mm-hmm. I think that practice will make us much more inclined to speaking the good news to people who need to know Jesus. When, when Connie and I share scripture with each other in the morning or something the Lord shared in a quiet time, it definitely stirs us up. So what you said makes sense. I'm connecting some things that you're saying. So thinking about that new convert and how excited they are, but also realizing at some point they, they lose that fire or it gets diminished. And then I'm also thinking, so I've heard people say um, kind of a little bit disparaging about evangelism training, and they'll give the example of the grandparent training class that's coming up, teaching grandparents to talk about their grandchildren, that no one no one has to train a grandparent. And I, I get that, but isn't there a spiritual warfare element to evangelism that's not found in talking about your grandchildren? And I wonder if there is there a connection between that new believer losing their passion, and part of that's connected to spiritual warfare. I mean, you've written a book on, on discipled warriors and spiritual warfare. Any thoughts there? Yeah, no, no question. Uh, in fact, I, I define evangelism as offensive spiritual warfare, mm-hmm. in that we who are followers of Christ are to, are to put on the full armor of God, 
And two of the pieces of the armor, the shoes and the sword, really have an evangelistic focus that we're we're sharing the gospel of peace and we're speaking that that word. And so our task is to step into the darkness with the light of the gospel. Well, you know the enemy is going to fight back against that, against us as witnesses. And then if God saves somebody and transfers somebody from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, the enemy is going to immediately try to hit at that new believer so that, so that he quickly loses his zeal. Uh, and temptation comes back, uh, doubt sets in. Sometimes that new believer feels lonely because he doesn't fit in his old world anymore, and he really doesn't fit in our church world uh, very quickly. And so he gets isolated, nobody's discipling him, and the enemy tries to shut him down. That's why I believe so strongly in discipleship. From the moment we share the gospel with somebody until that new believer is reproducing himself, discipling others, we have to walk with new believers to help them recognize this battle and fight through the battle so that their fire just keeps burning. In fact, I... I describe discipleship as the process by which we keep fueling the fire of somebody's zeal for Jesus. We keep teaching that their fire keeps burning, and when their fire keeps burning, they will keep evangelizing. Dr. Laws, you pastored two churches prior to getting into the the more the academic um, side of, of Christian ministry leadership. Uh, so when you were in those churches, how did you lead evangelistically from your role, your seat as a pastor? And then take that, if you were pastoring today, what would you do the same or, or different, do you think? You know, it's interesting. I did, I did pastor two churches. The first one was a, a very small uh, church in southwestern Ohio, 19 people there the first Sunday that I was there, most of whom were related to each other, and you get all that mm-hmm. all that scenario. Uh, but I was 20 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. Right. I had no idea why they hired me, except I probably was cheap. You were available. Uh, I was available, and I would, I would go for $45 a week. And so, uh, but all I knew to do was to get out and tell people about Jesus. Yeah. And and that's what we did. Uh, I did it. People followed my lead. And we saw the Lord honor that so much so that on the Sundays when someone didn't make a profession of faith, we grieved that because wow. we, we wanted God to work. And it, it, it didn't come out of training. It didn't come out of programming. It came out of me just knowing the grace of Jesus, wanting people to know about him. Uh, and to be honest, we lose that yep. sometimes. Yep. And, and in some ways, I lost that. In in this way, in that first church, I focused everything on evangelism, but I didn't know anything about helping new believers grow. Mm-hmm. And so I wound up with a bunch of baby believers in the church uh, some of whom naturally had to become leaders because we needed leaders. And so uh, the lack of discipleship eventually became problematic. So that when I went to the second church, I I tried to fix the discipleship issue. I put my focus there and in some ways lost that evangelistic fire. And so in that second church, I had to go back to say, I have to train people to do evangelism uh, and it's not really out of my fire right now. It's out of my recognition that we need to be doing it. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes that's what we have to do. Yeah. We just have to decide 
we have to do the Great Commission. It's not my burning passion right now, but obedience requires me to do that. And and what I learned, Todd, was when you're obedient, uh, even when your heart's not fully in it yet, uh, when you're obedient, God God restores the fire too. And so it, it, it really does work both ways. Today, if I were if I were doing it again, I would give a great deal of attention to am I so walking with God that I want everybody to know about him? And the other thing I would do differently today is I would make sure that I intentionally had more non-believing friends in my life. Mm. Um, I've, I've recognized, I, I wrote a, a book that uh, Church Answers has actually uh, been, been giving away called, Lord, I'm Caught in the Bubble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wrote that book because I've, I've been there. And the only reason I feel like I could write that book recently was the Lord has really pushed me out of the bubble at this stage of my life to to get invested in the lives of non-believers who think differently, who talk differently, who act differently. Yeah. I don't understand them entirely, but the Lord has given me a brokenness for them. And I would I would make sure that I did not spend all of my time inside the church walls, only ministering to church people when I need to be modeling developing relationships with non-believers. I think that's such a challenge. You know, uh, when I when I I left the business world to go into ministry, and I was around lost people all the time in sales. I was a salesman, and then in a, as a pastor, I was always around saved people. And I, I did I did more evangelism before I was a pastor than I did mm-hmm. afterwards. Mm-hmm. And everything you're saying, I've, I've I've lived it myself. And I think it's just a common story of of pastors, Dr. Lawless. They want to reach people. They want to evangelize. Uh, and and yet, so many things pull them away. It seems like everything pulls them away from evangelism. Yes, uh, I agree. And as you pointed out before, the enemy's behind that somewhere. Yep, there's he, a strategy. He does not want us telling the gospel to people who are in his kingdom. Yeah. So you write a very popular blog. Um, what 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 inspired you to start blogging or writing a blog? And then what what ins- the topics that you choose to write about? What drives those those that choice of topics? I started writing uh, almost 10 years ago now, writing writing a blog uh, at the suggestion of friends who, one, knew that I, I really do enjoy writing, uh, but I enjoy even more encouraging mm-hmm. pastors, church leaders, uh, laypersons. So I made the commitment back then, Todd, and I, I think I've maintained this, that I w- I was not going to get involved in all the controversies, all all the debatable things. There, there are a lot of people much wiser than I am, uh, much more gifted than I am, who can address those kinds of issues that they are. Uh, my commitment was I, I want to help believers be encouraged in their walk with God and give to, to pastors and church leaders some simple reproducible strategies, mm-hmm. some hopeful ideas that will help them be more encouraged about the work of ministry and give them some some tools they can use. And so uh, I always want to provide something that is clear, concise, 400 words, mm-hmm. not, not many more than that. Busy pastors, I want them to be able to pick it up, read it quickly and say, I can, out of those 10 things or eight things, I can use that, I can use that, and I can use that even today. And if, if I've accomplished that, I'm, I'm happy. 
I can't imagine how widespread the, the, the sharing, just, you know, not only the folks that subscribe to your, your blog, but the number of times Larry Purcell will, your friend Larry Purcell will post something here. Yes. Chip Hutchinson, who works with us, will post something, and others will put your things out. And it's just always a great a great list that you provide. Uh, so let's talk about leadership a little bit, um, Dr. Lawless. You've been in a leadership position, a ministry leadership position, I mean, most of your Christian life, it seems like that you've either pastored or you've been in leadership with a seminary. You're now dean at at, um, at, at Southeastern. Does leadership come naturally for you? Tell us about your leadership journey. Uh, was it an easy thing for you to step up and, and lead people? or And then how have you grown as a leader? Yeah, I'm, I am not, uh, as I evaluate my own life, I'm not naturally a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm... I'm as highly introverted as you can get on the Myers-Briggs scale. Okay. In, fact, in fact, I tell people if I could go off the scale into <laughs> introversion, I would I would do that happily. Yeah. Uh, I like I like my space. Yeah. I, I like being introspective about things. Yeah. Uh, leadership uh, pushes you outside that that sometimes, and so that that's a bit uh, uncomfortable for me at times, but. What, what I've learned about myself is this. There are context roles uh, that for me are more comfortable as a leader. In, in a local church, for example, because of my love for preaching, my love for casting vision, my love for discipling, raising up believers, uh, I, I pretty much enjoy most being the lead pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean I don't share responsibilities, but I just know that in that setting— I feel very comfortable saying the Lord has called me to do this and I want to lead out doing that. I still have to learn it. I still have to struggle through it. Um, but, but I feel comfortable in doing it in an academic setting. I've been doing this for a quarter of a century. Uh, what I've learned in this kind of a setting is a second chair, third chair, fourth chair. I'm completely comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. That in, in this setting, if my role is to help other people, uh, succeed beyond me, I'm I'm cool with that. My my boss today, uh, the provost here at Southeastern, Dr. Keith Whitfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was the first professor that Keith had a meal with when he was a brand new student at Southern Seminary. Wow. Uh, yeah. Decades ago. Wow. And and now for me to know that I report to him and the Lord has used him to do good stuff. Uh, I I delight in that. And so in this kind of context, I'm very comfortable not being the guy whose desk the buck stops on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it really depends upon the, the, the situation, the scenario for me. How, how have I learned to lead? Yeah. Um, I've, I've watched other people who are who are strong leaders. I've watched the guys I know who are very visionary, mm-hmm. who can sit down and in 10 minutes, right on a napkin, the vision, uh, and then hand it to somebody to say, go figure out how we're going to do this. Yeah. I, I don't typically lean that way, but watching them, listening to them, watching how their how their brain works to come up with vision has helped me to say, you know what, in my role, sometimes I do have to cast vision. And it's a lot harder for me, but I can learn how to do that at some level uh, from other folks that I just I just keep my eye on. So you, you're obviously a reader. Are there any, any books that have influenced your, your approach to leadership or any, any books that you'd recommend for others who are uh, trying to grow in leadership? 
Yeah, there there are some. First of all, I, I would go all the way back to even some of the classics. Uh, Oswald Sanders' Spiritual Leadership, mm-hmm. uh, just very short chapters that will rip you and challenge you. I do like the writings of Jim Collins, yep. uh, good good to great. And then he followed that up with another one, How the How the Mighty Fall, I believe, okay. which is which is a different look at. How how do folks who've done well ultimately get derailed? And I think we need to hear that too, as as church leaders. Uh, Spurgeon's lectures to my students mm-hmm. that deals with so many different things uh, still helps me to think about leading in particular uh, in the in the church world. So uh, those have been helpful to me from a personal perspective. Uh, Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life, okay. uh, has been has been instrumental to me as a leader because I don't think leaders always naturally lean toward prayer as the foundation of what they do. Miller, Miller's book is just practical, to the point, very real, and a helpful look at building prayer into our lives. I've heard of you cite before, uh, I want to think it's Second Chronicles 20, 12. Uh, that may not be the right. Is it the right verse? That's exactly right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. So I, I heard you cite that verse, and it so stuck, struck me at the time that I went and memorized it. I, I use an app for reviews, but so I don't have it word for word. But uh, how was that verse? Did that come to you at a significant time? Or, and can you cite it from from memory? Yeah. You know what? First of all, I'm amazed that you remember that. You have you have made my day that a student <laughs> I had a long time ago remembers anything I said. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that verse. Jehoshaphat is the king. Uh, three armies have allied against his people. He's called the people to fasting and prayer, and he prays a prayer in that chapter, where where he ends with, uh, "We are powerless against this vast multitude." As he looks out at those who are gathered against him, nor do we know what to do, mm-hmm. but our eyes are on you. Yeah. And I, I love that because there are times that we know we have the power of Christ in us, we have the Holy Spirit in us, but sometimes we forget that too mm-hmm. uh, when we face the realities of ministry and we feel really powerless. And there are times, and, and I think this is going to become more and more the case as as pastors today face things that I never dreamed we would face yep. when I started 40 plus years ago. There are going to be times when the best we can say is, I don't have a clue what to do. But in those times, the king... The king says to us, all right, we're powerless. We don't know what to do, but we do know to do this. We are locking our eyes on you, God. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times I've turned to that. In fact, let me tell you how that happened. Yeah, please. Uh, just just reading that text was really helpful to me years, years ago. And I was teaching the entry-level formation class at Southern. Uh, I was teaching it on Friday mornings, I believe. And I had students memorize a text every week. So this particular Friday morning, this was the text. And we talked about we're powerless against this vast multitude coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We talked about that. That was Friday. The following Tuesday was 9-11 wow. uh, when our our country was attacked. We weren't powerless, but we sure felt that way. Yep. And many students throughout that week would stop me in the hall and say, I don't understand all this, but my eyes are on are on God. And so that that historic event drove that text home for me even more so. And I, I still cling to it. 
Well, for I don't know what it's like for others, but but all of my Christian ministry life, I've been in leadership positions. Almost every day, I felt out of my depth in any of those positions, and just to kind of be able to to normalize that that's okay that you feel like you are out of your depth. You you are trying to walk on water, and you're not going to stand unless Jesus holds you holds you up. So thank you, right. thank you for sharing that, Dr. Lawless. Uh, let me share a couple of leadership quotes with you and get you to interact with these. So this is from Ken Blanchard. He says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. I think it's hard for pastors to get good feedback. Um, What would you recommend for someone who wants to know themselves better so they can grow in in their effectiveness and and service to Jesus? How can they get feedback? Well, first I would say that we need to recognize the need for feedback and and be willing to hear it. Uh, if, If we want feedback, but we only want feedback that pats us on the back. The feedback is not that helpful. Yeah. Uh, we, we have to approach this to say, I really do want to keep growing as God is conforming me to the image of his son. And I want to continue to grow as a leader until the Lord calls me home. What that means then is we have to have people in our lives who can speak truth into our lives. Mm-hmm. So I think what we have to do is what we have to intentionally enlist some folks who would who would speak into our lives and speak even a hard word to us. Mm-hmm. Sometimes because we're pastors, uh, folks will agree, I'll, I'll speak into your life, but everything they say is positive mm-hmm. and, it, and it doesn't really lead to growth. We need some folks who love us so much, they will help us see our areas of, of needed growth. And so I would argue all pastors need a handful of folks. That may be other elders. It could be uh, deacons, other church members, other pastors outside the, the church. But we, we need some folks who would say to us lovingly, what you just said sounds really arrogant. Or yeah. uh, the way you're handling that, I'm not sure that that's, I just wonder if that's the best way to do that. Yeah. Sometimes for some of us, it's our spouse who, Absolutely. who most readily speaks those things to us. And we we have to hear that. In in preaching, Todd, I think, I think this is really critical. Mm-hmm. Um, just because we preach a long time doesn't mean that we know how to preach. Right. Um, and just because we've taken preaching classes doesn't mean that we, we preach well. Most of us could, could stand having other folks listen to a sermon here or there and help us to think about how to improve that. But to do that, we need we need folks who are willing to speak real truth to us. Uh, and we have to be gutsy enough to say, I invite your feedback, even if it hurts. This quote is from, uh, is, it's uh, found in Scott Thomas' uh, book, uh, Gospel-Shaped Leader, uh, which is an excellent book, and he's quoting. And Dr. Lawless, you can get this name. I, I never know if it's J.C. Ryle or J.C. Riley. Do you know which one it is? I say Ryle. Ryle, okay. Uh, but he said, "You may be very, you may be very sure, men fall in private long before they fall in public." When you hear that quote, what does that, what does it make you think about? It reminds me, and honestly, Todd, I don't remember where I first read this idea. It seems to me I may have read it in John MacArthur at some point, but it would have been years ago. Um, the idea that that we don't we don't leap into a fall. Yep. Uh, we don't go to the cliff and leap off. We slide into a fall, yeah. uh, meaning that sometimes. We're, we're sliding in the wrong direction, and we don't even realize how quickly it's happening until we find ourselves deep in the, 
in the valley. Um, and for most folks, and I've worked with a lot of folks over the years in looking at spiritual warfare, pastors that have that have fallen, uh, almost to a man, they they if they think honestly, they think perceptively about how they got there, they can back up to uh, this happened, this happened. I really wasn't doing my devotions. I was really getting discouraged. I felt alone. And and there are markers ahead of time that would say you're headed for trouble if you yeah. if you don't put the brakes on, uh, and we need to learn what those warning signs are, and recognize that one step in the wrong direction is one step too far. Yeah, thank you for thank you for that, uh, Dr. Lawless. Who has been a leadership role model for you? Someone that either that you look to, either contemporary or historic, that you you appreciate the way they lead, maybe even different than the way you would lead. Yeah, you know, for for me, in some cases, there are men that I look to who are uniquely capable in some in some area of of leadership that I have I have seen. I certainly was at I was at Southern Seminary when when Dr. Moeller was first beginning to turn that yeah. ship uh, to watch him do that uh, as as a as a PhD student and then as a faculty member to see how he did that uh, was fascinating working with Tom Rayner who's who's as visionary as they come uh, that was helpful to me uh, Danny Aiken that I work with now whose door is always open who who I've watched him sit for hours talking to people who have concerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful for learning that from him. I have two pastoral heroes, one who is now with the Lord, the other who uh, is still going strong as he approaches 80 years old. Right. And uh, here's here's what I what I say about them, Todd. The things that catch my attention about these two men, and they're remarkably similar in this in this sense. One in both of their cases, and I, I was my, our, our, my friend who is now with the Lord. Every major decision I made in ministry, uh, I made at his feet, right. and I actually didn't even meet him until after he retired. He joined my home church after he retired from sixty years of ministry, um, and and he just he just walked with me a little bit, um, and then my my brother uh, who's still serving strong. I I've been with him in different scenarios, different settings. And here's here's what I know about them. One, neither one, I never heard either one ever say an off-color word, period. Well, uh, nothing that even bordered on something that I would think would be displeasing to God. I never heard either one of them uh, go after another human being. Uh, even even when there was there was cause to say this wasn't right, they they were always cautious to say that that. It's not right, but were it not for the grace of God, we we could go there too. Yeah. Um, furthermore, the, these two men, I don't know that I was ever with them without them turning a conversation with somebody to to Jesus oh, uh, at a restaurant, in a hospital elevator. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter. It was as if Jesus was right here at on their lips, and it was it was just going to come out. Uh, prayer. Prayer marked their lives. You, you get the sense that their knees were just scarred uh, from from being with God. And and the other thing that marks them for me is they so loved the Word and they so had memorized the Word that it really did just fall off their lips in in a natural conversation. And it's out of their integrity 
and out of their godliness that they they both led significant uh, churches and and were strong leaders in state conventions and the the national convention. Uh, My goodness, you're, I mean, you're, you're you're describing godly men, and you can't be around people like that without being marked by their lives. That's that's exactly right. Yeah. And the privilege of being with them uh, to this day, I'm I'm humbled every time I I talk with my with my pastor brother who doesn't hesitate to say you need to think about this. But even when he does that, he, he lets me know that he loves me. He prays for me and Pam every day. My goodness. Um, and so I have folks that do that. When I know he's praying for me every day, it doesn't matter what I face. I know I'm not alone. Dr. Lawless, we have run out of time before we run out of questions. I'm so grateful for this. It's just been a delight for, for me. You're going to be coming to Kentucky in March for our REACH Evangelism Conference. Uh, why should pastors, church leaders attend REACH or at least something like that? What, how could it benefit them? Yeah, we're going to be talking about evangelism, the, yep. same, the same topic we've talked about here. Uh, Southern Baptists in particular, we need to learn this. We had better get back to reaching lost people. And, and the plus of doing that in a, in a state convention setting is is you're not by yourself. Yep. There are a bunch of other folks who are walking the same path that you're walking. You are the recipient of of what we do as we give through the cooperative program. We, you, you reap the benefits of, of your church giving, of your giving through your church. And when we come together and we can encourage each other, we can, we can worship together, we can learn from one another, it just makes it better as we go back to our church to lead. So it can be a it can it can reignite the fire that we've talked about already in this in this podcast. Well, that's what we're going to hope for and, and pray happens. Dr. Lawless, thank you for your leadership at Southeastern Seminary, your teaching ministry, your writing ministry, your marriage to Pam, your personal example. I'm just grateful for all of it. I'm grateful that you're Southern Baptist and I've been able to spend time with you. And thank you for joining Leadership Lessons. Thank you, my friend. It's been great to be with you. Thanks for listening to Leadership Lessons. This program is made possible by the generous contributions by Kentucky Baptist through the cooperative program. For more information about the Kentucky Baptist Convention, go to kybaptist.org. And for news about how Kentucky Baptist churches are making a difference, go to kentuckytoday.com.